Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. King Solomon, the third king of the nation of Israel, in his book we call Ecclesiastes, wrote these words as part of the, the record of his, well, his pursuit of wisdom and his pursuit of the meaning and purpose of life. Pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. I was working on my teaching in my office this week, and our student pastor, Ben, comes walking in. He asked me, well, Virgil, what are you up to? And I, I confessed that as I was thinking about this passage, and I was thinking about this teaching, that I had gone down a rabbit hole of watching videos of people falling down on the ice. <laughs> Go ahead. Call me warped if you like, you know, finding humor at somebody else's misfortune. But at least like, unlike some of you who spend hours watching cat videos and dog videos and video clips of old sitcoms, really give me a little grace on this one, all right? In case you're curious, my favorite is Mean Daddy watching school kids slipping on ice. If you want a good laugh, Watch it later. If I hear you snickering at an inappropriate time during the teaching today, I'll know that you're on YouTube watching that video instead of listening to what God might have to say for you. Okay? But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Now, I certainly don't want to make light of a fall, right? I don't want to make light of people who have fallen. I know that a fall can be serious. It can be painful, right? It can be life-changing, right? And as you get older, we tend to fall more, you know, people get a little less stable, a little teetery and wobbly. My mom, and I didn't bring a picture of this because it was really not pretty, but my mom tripped on a step a few months ago and she hit her face and she didn't break anything, but she was bruised so badly that you could not even recognize her. Now you've heard of the, the saying, a child having a face that only a mother could love? Well, flip it. My, her face was the face that only one of her children could love. It was not pretty. And my wife does uh, in-home care for some older women, right? So, you know, one of the most dreaded phone calls that Barb can ever get is one of the family members calling and saying, Mom fell last night, right? And I wonder, have you in your own life, have you ever fallen have you ever fallen and, and couldn't get up? Those of us of a certain age might be reminded of the Lifeline Alert System commercials of the 80s and 90s. You know, help, I've fallen and I can't get up, right? Now, for the rest of you youngies, fast forward to 2022. Now, I'm not an Apple Watch guy. I'm not even a watch guy. But an Apple Watch, I saw a commercial just last week, and it's based on a true account from a real situation from 2019. You can watch the screen. The owner of this Apple Watch has taken a hard fall and is not responding to their watch. The emergency location is latitude 47.7, longitude minus 117.5 with an estimated search radius of 41 meters. This message will repeat in five seconds. Yeah, so true. So Bob was going to go meet his son to do a little mountain bike ride. He got there early, decided he's going to go off on his own. He crashes his bike. 
He's unconscious, and the Apple Watch notified the authorities. They had actually picked him up and taken him into the hospital before his son um, was even able to get there, right? That's impressive, I think. You know, taking a fall like that or any other kind of fall without someone to help you up, it can be devastating. A friend of mine recently was in a situation just like that. Helpless, hopeless, feeling stripped of dignity. Now, while I don't recall ever actually being in that particular type of situation, just a couple weeks ago, I was doing some work in my crawl space under my house, and I was suddenly hit by this truck called COVID. And I remember being in my crawl space. I was weak. I was exhausted. I I felt like I just had to close my eyes. I, I didn't even want to move. And I remember thinking to myself, I hope I don't black out down here because some sad first responder is going to have to haul my sorry self up out of this hole. And that's not going to be pretty. Now, obviously, I made it out because I'm here today, right? Falling, though, it's not just for the sick. Falling is not just for the elderly. One of the young ladies in in my small group that meets on Tuesday nights, she, she blew her knee out a couple weeks ago while she was kickboxing. And so I asked her, I was like, hey, when you blew your knee out, could you get back up by yourself? She was absolutely not, right? She went down and she couldn't get back up. It's not just for the old. But see, falling isn't just about physical. Sometimes falling is when we've lost a family member. Or we've had to resign ourselves to the fact that our loved one is not getting better and we can no longer care for them on our own. And it can leave us feeling helpless. Sometimes falling is when our kids are rebelling against all the things that we've ever taught them. Or when the spouse says that they no longer love us and they're not sure that they ever did. Or when the boss calls you into his or her office and says, I'm sorry, but your services are no longer required. We can feel hopeless. Sometimes falling is when we've made personal choices that damage our friendships. When we've made choices that drive wedges between us and our kids Or when we've made choices that create a wall of mistrust between us and our spouse. And we realize and find ourselves in that place where we can just feel like we've lost all of our dignity. Solomon says, pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. This morning we are continuing in our January teaching series here at Fork called we are. We are. And in this series, we're asking some questions and we're given some answers regarding what type of people does Jesus say that we are? Who are we as a part of his kingdom? Who are we as individual believers? Who are we as Fork Christian Church? Now, someone says, you guys aren't going very deep in these conversations. I'm like, yeah, this is like an aerial photograph, not like a boots on the ground documentary, right? It's a little snapshot of who we're supposed to be. But in this series, we've been reminded that we are to be people who love like Jesus. We've been reminded that we are to be people of the Bible. We've been reminded that we are to be people of worship. I'm really excited because next week, 
Tim Cole, who works with Waypoint Ministry Partners, who have been working with us on our search for a, a new lead pastor. Tim is going to be here in town that week, and Tim Cole is going to be bringing a message to us saying that we are to be people of the Great Commission. That is the kind of people who are called and commanded to share the good news of Jesus to the world. So I'm really excited about Tim being here next week to preach. But before we get there today, I want us to be reminded that we are to be people of relationships. We are people of relationships. You see, from the very, very beginning, it's always been God's plan that we would be in relationship with him. But it's also been his plan from the start that we would be in relationship with other people. In fact, throughout the Old Testament part of our Bibles, or the Old Covenant part of our Bibles, about 130 different times, God, God's people were referred to as community, right? Not simply a nation of individuals, rather a people with common, with, with common fellowship, with common attitudes, with common goals, and then in the Gospels, in the New Testament part of our Bible, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those books that talk about the life of Jesus Christ, Jesus often referred to those who followed after him as being a part of his kingdom, right? Being a part of his kingdom. Again, not individuals, but an entire kingdom, right? A kingdom united under one king, relating to one another under one king with his goals and with his purposes in mind. And then Pretty much the rest of the New Testament part of our Bibles, we read about the church, letters to the church, history of the church, right? In Greek, the word church is ekklesia, which means gathering or assembly, not individuals, right? It's not a building made of metal and drywall, but neither is it just a bunch of individual people doing their own thing, right? It was about people doing life together and doing life with one another. Solomon was arguably the wisest man who ever lived. And though his life was riddled with mistakes and with failures, he still certainly saw the need and the value and the importance of relationships. And you and I, we might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but we know deep down inside that we are hardwired for relationships. We are designed and built to have relationships with one another. It's a God-given need to live in relationship with one another. And so if we're following after Jesus, if we're seeking to advance his kingdom, if we want as individuals and as a church to look like, live like, and love like Jesus Christ, then we need to be people who make healthy relationships a priority in our life. We need to make relationships priority in our life. Now, I know some of you are note takers, and so here's a great place to take notes. There's two reasons that we need to make relationships a priority. One, Jesus made relationships a priority. And two, Jesus' church made relationships a priority. Now, whether you're here in this room or whether you're watching online, whether you've been following Jesus for a few weeks or whether you've been following Jesus for a few decades, we People of relationships, right? If we're following after Jesus, it's essential that our relationships don't simply exist. It's essential that our relationships are intentional and that our relationships are a priority. Why? Because Jesus made relationships a priority. 
You know, I had a friend back in St. Louis, and he, his goal in life was to find a place out in the country someplace and just move off the grid. He put on this big kind of show like he didn't like people, didn't want people, didn't need anyone, right? But the reality is the guy would stop by our house, he'd bring us coffee, he'd just do all kinds of rants and stuff. I know that he knew deep down inside he needed relationships, and so do we. Now, of course, maybe in your own life, you've considered the life of hermit, the being a hermit might just be a good thing, right? And if you thought that, well, I have too. We probably all thought that sometime because to be honest, we might not always like people. We might not always want people. We might not always want to be around people, right? But the truth is we need people. We need relationships. Take a moment, think of your own life. You can think about those help I've fallen and I can't get up moments because certainly there's plenty of places in our lives where that happens and we need relationships. But we can move beyond that, right? There are plenty of times where in our day-to-day life, in and out of life, we recognize the need for relationships. Think of those times where you had a question and you didn't want to consult Google, you wanted to ask a friend. Think of those times when you needed advice and certainly the internet could tell you, but you know, having a conversation that's with a buddy is even better, right? Maybe you had a great story to share. Maybe you just needed some encouragement. Maybe you just wanted to spend some time getting to know somebody better. Think of those times in your life where you needed a good laugh or maybe you needed a good cry. Maybe there's a time where you wanted to play a game or go to a movie or watch a, you know, an NFL playoff game or, or go to a new restaurant and you just didn't want to do it by yourself. Think of a life where people not only know your name, but they also know something about you. I mean, think about, you know, someone, someone who knows that you, you tried out for The Voice or you got a promotion at work or that you play the violin like a maestro and they really care about it because they care about you. Think about those times where you have longed to be more than just another face in the crowd or a number on a card or a misspelled name on a Starbucks cup or someone who's just stuck on some statistical database somewhere. Think of your own life, your spiritual life. Those times in your faith journey where you needed prayer. Those times when you're reading the scripture and you didn't quite understand the words of Jesus or how they impacted your world. And you just couldn't figure out how to love your enemy or even love your neighbor. Think about those times when you were losing your battle with temptation. When you were struggling in your faith And in your obedience, and you felt isolated and alone, like you're the only one that ever failed. When the troubles of the world feel like they're crushing you, when you can't understand that why God would let that happen, sort of scenario. Solomon, in his writing, he said, pity the person who falls with no one to help them up. When I see that, though, when when I understand Solomon a little bit, when I read these words, I see a greater picture there. I see a broader application. You see, I believe that Solomon is portraying this idea that pity is the person who's wired for relationships, yet by their own choice, or perhaps by the choices of others, they simply don't have them, or they simply don't value them. You see, we need people. We need relationships with them. 
I often wonder what it's like for people that don't have people. I often wonder what it's like when people are going through life and they don't have people. I remember when my middle son Gabriel was born with several heart defects and my wife and I were spending a significant amount of time at St. Louis Children's Hospital. But while that was happening, there were people back at our house watching our oldest son. They were cooking us meals. They were cleaning our house. I mean, I'm thinking about that season of life and what it would have looked like if we had not been invested and made relationships a priority. You know, as a pastor, as someone who works, you know, at a church, I probably get more than my fair share of requests for people, you know, people in certain dire straits, people with needs, people with burdens, people with hurts, right? Sometimes the requests come from people who are perfect strangers calling up the church office like, hey, can I talk to a pastor? Other times, you know, they're people that I know, people that I care about, right? But whenever I get a request for someone, about something that's going on in the world, one of the first things that goes through my mind is, who are their people? Who do they do life with? Who do they serve with? Who do they small group with? Who are they in relationship with? And the sad truth is that oftentimes they don't have people. They don't have their people. And it breaks my heart because God wired us to have people, to be in relationships, to carry one another's burdens. Pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. See, Jesus made relationships a priority. Early on in his ministry, Jesus chose 12 guys to be his team, right? His core, his tribe, his village, whatever, you know, buzzy word you like. Um, I I like disciple because that's what the Bible called him. So, you know, for three years, Jesus spent time with his 12 disciples. For three years, they did life together. He spent so much time with them. They got into scary uh, situations together. They, They ate meals together. He taught them. He prayed for them. He corrected them. He challenged them. He grew them. He trusted them. He commissioned them to take his good news to the world. And 11 of the 12 of those carried on his work and followed his example after he had gone back to heaven. But that's not all that Jesus spent time with. While he spent a lot of time with these 12 guys, as we read through Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, we see that Jesus was interacting with people all the time, eating meals and having conversations and spending time with them, right? All sorts of people, building all kinds of relationships with all kinds of people imaginable. I mean, he did life with people who had not been healed yet, and he did life with those who had been healed. He did life with those who were very respected by society, and he did life with those who were not respected by society as at all. He invested life in people who didn't feel like they were worthy to be in a relationship with him, and he invested in life with people who thought they were way above being in a relationship with him. Right, quality time with people who others wanted to associate with, but also quality time with people who nobody wanted to associate with. Right, Jesus developed relationships with tax collectors and with religious leaders, with the demon-possessed, with lepers, Samaritans, Jews, Gentiles, women, children, because to him, they were all worthy of his time. They were all worthy of his care. They were all worthy of his love. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 from the New International Version says, Two are better than one 
because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Friends, not only did Jesus make relationships a priority, Jesus' church made relationships a priority. Perhaps you're familiar with the book of Acts. It's, it's the book that Luke records for us much of the history uh, of the early church. And maybe you've heard me share this passage from the stage before. It's worth hearing over and over again. But it's from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Let me take a moment. Sometimes you guys come in here. We always put the scripture up on the screens, but we've also got Bibles back in the back. If you ever just want to grab one of these and follow along, you're welcome to do that. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one of these and take it home. We want you to have uh, the scripture in your hands, right? But Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47, whether you're in your book or your phone or following along the screen, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now if you know your church history, you know this is right after the start of the church. You know, and it might seem like this might have been a start of the church, you know, kind of one-off sort of moment. You know, like a newfound faith excitement that flares up and fizzles out like a really cheap 4th of July sparkler. But that wasn't what I see as I read the rest of the book of Acts, right? I see throughout the rest of the book and the history recorded us by Luke and then the conversations that Paul had with the various churches and Peter and John and those other guys did as life went on, that there was life happening with people. There was life happening in people's homes. I just went through and I did a search for the homes where, you know, ministry took place. And there was this guy named Manasin, and there was Philip and Titus and Jason and Lydia and Mary and Simon and Cornelius. And even in the household of the Philippian jailer. See, the early church valued relationships and did life together. But here's my, my experience is, my experience is that most of us don't do a lot of life with one another in one another's homes. We live in a world that lets us connect instantly through multi, multiple messaging and, and chat platforms, right? But the ease of electronic connection can get in the way of real, genuine conversation time that's spent in each other's company. They can get in the way of the heart-to-heart -heart and the face-to-face -face sharing of emotions, sharing of feelings, sharing of thought. And while our devices certainly have their place, they don't replace the sound of a snowblade on your friend's Jeep as it scrapes your driveway. They don't replace the sound of the blows of a hammer as your buddy comes over and helps you on a project. They don't replace the heartfelt conversation that takes place over a meal or over a cup of coffee. And our devices certainly can never replace a hug. You see, we live in an age where, where we can Zoom chat with people all over the country. You know, I've got friends that I Zoom with in Colorado, but the computer can never replace the feel of sharing a meal or taking a couple's road trip and all the conversations 
that go along with it. Luke writes, all the believers devoted themselves, the apostles, teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. Please note, because it's really easy to gloss over this, this doesn't say that the pastors devoted themselves. This doesn't say that a select spiritual few devoted themselves to relationships. It doesn't say that some of the believers had meals together or that a part of the believers prayed together and celebrated the Lord's Supper. No, Luke says it's all. It's an all-skate. It's an everyone-involved sort of thing. See, he said all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All the believers devoted themselves to fellowship. All the believers devoted themselves to sharing in meals. All the believers devoted themselves to the Lord's Supper. All the believers were devoted to prayer. If you've heard me talk about the, the life of following after Jesus Christ, you've heard me say that it's not a bunch of rules, it's not a, a checkbox that we have to mark off to say we're doing it right, right? I say that all the time, but think about this. If we are to be people of relationships, I encourage you to look at this list. I encourage you to, to ask yourself the question, how are you doing with this? Does this look anything like you? Is looking like this in your relationships even something that's important to you? See, it was to the early church. Why? Why were these relationships so important? The latter part of verse 47 says, Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. You see, the early church prioritized relationship because they knew that the eternity of their friends and their family and their neighbors and their co-workers was at stake. Can you imagine a world where your faith grew because you did this kind of life with other believers? Can you imagine a world where hospitality was the norm, not the occasional occurrence? Can you imagine if in your world that gener generosity was not the, the exception, rather it was the standard? That being filled with joy and goodwill didn't just happen a couple times a year. I mean, it sounds so idyllic, so Hallmark-esque, like something out of a movie or, or a novel. But the truth is God has called us to live in relationship with one another on a day-to-day -day life. For the believer, this isn't some kind of a pipe dream. It's not a hope for. It's not a fantasy. For the believer, this should be real life. You know, in a world like this, it doesn't happen because we have advanced technology. A world like this happens because we choose to advance the priority of relationships. Friends, we don't all have an Apple Watch that's going to alert our people when we've fallen or when we're tempted or when we're depressed. 
or when we're worried or when we're scared. But those that we are in relationship will know because they're in relationship with us. See, our people will know when we're struggling because we're in relationship with them. They'll know when we're sad because we're in relationship with them. They'll know when we're need, needing encouragement because, well, because we're in relationship with them. You see, technology is fantastic, but it'll never replace people. So as a church, we have to make relationship a priority. And if we are to be a people of relationships, we must make them priority in the church. Someone said, are you going to challenge me today, Virgil? Well, here's a challenge right here, right now, right? Maybe you don't know who you're hanging out with. Maybe you don't know who else is in this room, but I want you to take a look around. I want you to make some connections today. I want you to learn some names. Look up and down your row that you're sitting in. Look past into the next sessions. Go ahead, do it. Look, 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 right? Do you know these people? They're your family. They're your people. You go to church with them, right? Get to know some of them. Get to know some of them. Let's take today to make some connections. And let's go beyond that. Let's get plugged in. Let's get involved. This is your church. Get involved with the relationship with people here. Find a team to serve on. Find a small group to get to do life with. Um, there's a whole row part and a part of another row. This is part of my Tuesday night group that hangs out together like forever, every Tuesday night. You want to know what it's like to be a part of a small group? Why it's important? Come up afterwards and ask these guys. Raise your hand up. They know who it is, right? There you go, small group, right? Um, where's the Williams small group? Some of you. Where's the rest of you? There's usually like 50 people back there that are part of that small group. Go back and ask those guys, what's it like to be a part of a small group? Why is that kind of relationship important, right? See, if we're to be people of relationships, we've got to make it a priority in the church. But if we're also to be people of relationships, I believe, like the early church did, we need to make relationships a priority in our homes. And I'm not talking about being friends with your brother and sister, right? I'm talking about getting to know your neighbors, inviting people to your house, having them over for coffee, having them over for a meal. Oh, excuses, guys. This is where the excuses come in. Hey, I don't cook. My house is a mess. Okay, take them out to dinner, right? Next excuse. Oh, it's expensive. Listen, conversation is just as good over a Chick-fil-A sandwich as it is over an expensive steak or crab cake, okay? So you're not limited. Go eat cheap, but go do life together. Make relationships a priority. Be present in people's lives. Spend time with them. Ask good questions. Get to know each other. Lastly, if we're to be people of relationships, we must remember that we can't do it alone. We can't do it alone, right? I can't do it alone. I can't learn everyone's name, although I really try to know all of your names in this room. Sometimes I forget, right? I can't do it alone, right? I can't meet all the needs of every person. I can't speak into every situation and into every hurt. I can't know who all is sick, and I certainly can't do all the visits and all the meals and all the cards, right? I can't do it alone, but neither can you. You can't do it alone alone. 
Individually, we can't meet the needs of the people. Individually, we can't care for everyone. We can't relate to everyone. We can't love everyone. But all of us together can have the life-changing relationships that all of the church needs. We can't do it alone. And when we have that superhero complex where we think all the burden of all the relationships falls on me, when it comes to being uh, the church, when it comes to being uh, the people of, that God has called us to be, we have to remember it's not about the me. It's about the we. It's about the we. See, we are to be salt of the earth. We are to be the light of the world. We are to be in relationship with others because they matter to Jesus. And we are to be in relationship to others because they matter to his church. And we need to be in relationship to others because they matter to us. And if we're to be people of relationships, if we're to make relationships our priority, we need to do this together. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful that you had um, set for us an example of relationship. Um, that you didn't operate in a vacuum while you spent your time on earth. But you showed us how to be a part of other people's lives and other people's worlds. Well, thank you that the, that the early church caught that vision that they became people of relationships. They became people of life investments in one another. God, please help us as individuals and as a church to be the people of relationships that you called us to be because people matter and our care and our love and our investment in them can be life-changing for them but also life-changing for us. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.